Good morning. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 40. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 40. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesies and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, will you come together? Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them Keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only one it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be here this morning. I know we have some visitors and guests with us. We're glad that you're with us. We are going to be finishing up a series on the subject of the assembly. On what Barry just read for us right there comes from 1 Corinthians 14. I think many people today, they hear that. I find a lot of controversy in it. We're going to take a look at it this morning, what the scriptures say and what this text means, and hopefully it'll be very edifying to you. If you have your Bibles, have them out. If you have pen and paper, take notes. I think that's a very good thing. 
So this would be a final note on the assembly and the order of it as we will be looking at this morning. So as we look at it, and you look at that scripture there, many people have found it very controversial. So I ask you the question this morning, can a biblical command cause you to turn from Christ? Now some people read that scripture, specifically when we read there in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that women are to be silent in the assembly. And many have said, you know, that's enough. I don't want to hear any more of it. I reject that command. But what does that mean there? What does the, the passage there Some have come to the conclusion, and they have come up with the thought that some parts of the Bible are cultural, and they'll come to commands like that, and they will say, here's a command, I'm going to say it's cultural, and I'm going to remove it. Problem is, is you have no limitations on you when you do that, do you? In this congregation, we believe in the Bible. We're going to keep it. We follow it in every single way. Uh, We want to make sure that we keep the New Testament. But there are many who pick up their Bible and they find something they don't like to say that was cultural, that was back then. Today, you hear a lot of people say the distinctions between genders uh, back then were distinct, but today it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want and behave according to whatever gender you want. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 6 that God made one man and one woman and he made them to be joined together in, in marriage. We can't change the definition of marriage. We cannot change the definition of male and female and how God has formed it. And we want to look at what God has to say about that. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said that sex outside of marriage, fornication, is evil. Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23. world today will say, well, that was just cultural. Marriage, that was just cultural. The distinction between male and female, just cultural. They will simply write off those things and say, it doesn't apply today. I want to propose to you this morning, as we read 1 Corinthians 14, if you take it out of the context of the rest of the New Testament, it can be offensive. But we want to look at what the Bible says on this matter. There are usually two positions in churches, and there's a little blend in between on regards to the role of men and women in church, specifically in the assembly. I think these roles have become a big deal because a lot of churches today have giant stages on them. A lot of them have become about shows. And when you give the preeminence to man and you're putting him always on a stage, you're going to have controversies like that. I know I'm a man standing on stage right now. In the first century, churches would be seating around Men would mostly be standing on the floor. It was a group congregational participation in. So there might be some things in our culture that have made, given us problems with this text. Here are the two positions. You have egalitarian and you have a complementary. The complementary position says that God made one man and woman to complement one another and that they both do things differently. And though they may be intellectually the same, they may still think differently. In fact, the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, gives a distinction between older men and younger men and what they struggle with and what they should be focusing on, even by their age and their gender. Younger women and older women as well. Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8 gives a distinction from them what they struggle with because of their age and their gender. Uh, Who you are, a man or a woman, you're going to have different things that you face. The complementary position is that man and woman complement each other, but they don't have the same roles. That men, as God has made them, God wants them to make a leading role, and that when God made Eve, he made her to help him. Not to be submissive in being made as a helper. She is to submit. 
But that's different. When God made woman as a helper, the word there was to help man. He also made man and woman in God's image. He also made man and woman, one with different, both of them in different glories. Yes, they're both made in God's image and they're equal. And back in Christ, Galatians 3 and verse 28, it says man and women are one in Christ, but they still have two different roles. I believe in the complementary position. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. The other one is the egalitarian. And that is the position that whatever a man does, a woman should be able to do. And whatever a woman does, a man should be able to do. When we look at that, it's not really that reasonable, is it? Women can have children and nurse them. Men can't do that. When you look at the men, who are, uh, those who do hard labor in our culture, who are working in construction sites, mostly men, right? Those who are working with their hands on the farm, mostly men that are doing that. When you look at an NFL football team, how many women are on the team? They're all men. There are differences between men and women, and we can see them. And the egalitarian position, I can't really defend it uh, for someone to say that they're always completely equal. Now, when, you're, when you look at the, the workplace and the labor force, when you're talking about people working in offices, I have no doubt that a woman can do what a man can do. I have no doubt that a woman can speak and analyze and break things down intellectually as much as man, or, or even better. So, you know, each one, as far as their mind, there's no, there's no conflict there. But there are differences physically. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says that he describes a woman as the weaker vessel, that in a husband and wife relationship, and the man is to recognize that and to honor her. That's simply what the scriptures say. So those are two different positions. And the Bible teaches that men and women do have different roles. And we're going to look at that this morning. Why does the scriptures teach that? And then in our society today, if you were to simply say that, a lot of people would laugh at you. Or they would call you something. What are, you, are you bigoted? Are you foolish? What are you, why are you saying these things? Let's look at what the scriptures say. I want to look at an example of this so that we're not unbalanced in our lesson this morning. We have an example here of an eloquent man who was speaking, who spoke the words of scripture. And Jesus, he knew these things. And yet when he went preaching, he did not preach the baptism of Jesus when he rose from the dead, but he preached the baptism of John. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the man Apollos. In Acts chapter 18, Apollos went preaching there. And he's preaching the gospel, but his gospel was not complete. It was not completely accurate. So what happened? It says, a man and a woman, Priscilla and Aquila, names her first, went and took him aside and taught him more accurately. Taught him the way of the Lord more accurately. Looking at the text and her being first, she had the preeminence in leading and doing this work. And I think it's a good thing today that when women hear error and they see things need to be corrected, that they go to those men, pull them aside, and teach them the truth. And we've had women in this congregation who've done that with our preachers for years. And I think that's a biblical thing, and we don't want to get away from that. Purpose and order. So throughout our study so far, if you haven't been here for the last two weeks, we've been looking at the assembly in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, and there are other passages as well. The New Testament church that we read about this morning, that Barry read to us, it says the whole church gathered together. The whole church was together. And they came together. And it also, in the context, included visitors. People came in to hear what was being spoken. There were some speaking in the assembly in foreign languages. And as Barry read for us this morning, Paul reasons with them, don't come in speaking in foreign languages. 
We already talked about this last week and the week before. It causes disorder. People are going to come in and think that you are out of your minds. There are churches today that try to do that very thing. And a lot of people go in and they see it and they think these people are out of their minds, just as the Scriptures teach. The assembly, as we've been seeing, is for edification. It's for building up by the gospel, by God's word. And if we teach the gospel, it will convict those who are sitting here, who are visiting, who are hearing that truth, whoever they are. And as this is being published as well on the internet, those that can hear it can do that as well. They can hear the truth. And we get that example from 1 Corinthians 14. And we've seen through our study that the tongues are a gift from God, but even though it is a gift from God, it should not be misused. It is for reaching out to unbelievers, teaching them the gospel. It was for the first century. It was for a time of the working of miraculous things. All the gospel and all truth came in through the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, and he gave all truth to his apostles so that nobody today can say, well, I have a little bit more truth. You can't say that. In John 14 through 16, Jesus said, I will give you all truth through the apostles, by the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And they had all of that so that nobody today can make such a claim that they can prophesy and add to God's word. It is true. I want to take a look at some of these scriptures this morning as we look at the assembly. Look here again at 1 Corinthians 14, 22 to 25. Thus tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Prophecy means to speak forth God's word, the truth, in its most basic meaning. He says, that's for the believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart is disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Our emphasis in the assembly is to speak God's word. It has been for edification. And that's what we've been speaking about for the last few weeks. We do not want to get away from that. There are many today, they, they claim that we want to be missional. We want to change the way the church does things as far as worship in the assembly. And brethren, we've got to be very careful about that. It will lead people astray. We want to teach and edify according to God's word. Here's our main text for this morning. We want to see that the Bible says the assembly is for order. Oftentimes we've heard scriptures that say that God is not, we read the passage here, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, it says, God is not the God of confusion. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that you're not going to come speaking in a foreign language. You're not going to come into assembly and one's going to speak here and one's going to speak there. In Corinth, there was divisions among them. Some people were standing up in church, not waiting for the other person to finish. They were interrupting one another. I encourage you, you got your Bible. Look with me here in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to make some observations from this text. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 33, about how the assembly is a time for understanding, learning, edification, in addition to worship. These are the things that I observe. See if you see the same things. Everyone may bring something to the assembly, but they must edify the congregation. And even though everyone brought something to the assembly to give to the congregation, every man brought a psalm or teaching or something to that effect. Listen to this. Two or three are to speak. It wasn't going to be everybody, but two or three were to speak, and they would do it in order, each in turn, and the others silent. Notice the emphasis here, silent. Greek word sagao. It means they did not speak. 
I want to emphasize this. As we go later and read those scriptures about women being silent in the assembly, the passage there is talking about not speaking publicly before the whole congregation, because that's what we see right here. Two or three are to speak, but each in turn, and the others are to remain silent so that all may learn and be encouraged. This is what is also supposed to be taking place. Your part when there's preaching going on and teaching going on is to weigh what is said. Not just simply to listen to it and say, well, that's right. It's got to come from God's word, right? It's got to be according to truth. And right now you should be weighing what is being said. Is it coming from Scripture? Here's another observation. Prophets can control their speaking because God is not the God of confusion, but he is of peace. And some today will say, well, I can't control myself. I just speak out whenever. Well, the Bible says you can. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 33. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three in each in turn and let someone interpret. He's already said, don't speak if there's no interpreter. But if there's no interpreter, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. So if you read that there and you see that scripture, do you agree? That's what we're, we're reading, those observations. I hope you do. This is what God had intended for the assembly. Decency and order and no confusion. Now the controversy in this passage comes right here. What did God command women in the assembly? And why would he command this? So 1 Corinthians 14, 33 to 35, it says this, As in all the churches of the saints, as in all the assemblies, every one of them, that doesn't sound cultural, doesn't sound like it changed from nation to nation or from time to time, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. The Greek word for submission there means to humble or to be subordinate to the men. So, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands, or the Greek word also means men at home. Could be a father, a relative, someone else at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And I can see why many people today would find this offensive. But let me say this. It's just as offensive in the 21st century to those outside the church and those who reject this as it was in the first century. A lot of people picture the first century that all women were oppressed. But if you go back and you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19, those who were being converted were leading women in cities. They were the ones that also led rejections of Paul and what he was preaching and opposed him. And as we know from culture in that time, the Roman society was set up in a way where one person tried to step over another. And they would climb upon one another. Sounds like our society today where people were looking for success. They're trying to be greater than others, better than the next person. And they didn't care who got in the way. And that went as far as women in society as well, especially when it came to the cult religions the worship of Dionysius and Diana, that many of them, Diana, the, the cult of Diana in Ephesus was a banking cult. They had safes under their temple and the women ran that and led that 
worship there. They had that leading position. So as you can see in that society, there's a problem going on in 1 Corinthians because there are women in the church who are already doing this, who are speaking out, who are speaking to the congregation. And many people in the world today would be like, well, what's wrong with that? Why would Paul correct them? Why would he tell them this, that it's wrong or that it's even shameful and that they to remain silent? That's offensive to me. In fact, Paul seems to be contradicting himself in Galatians 3 and verse 28. He says, man and woman are one. Why would he do that? I believe there's a very good reason behind it. I want you to look at it right here. Why would God reveal through Paul that women remain silent in the assembly? Well, God created both in his image. God created man and woman with different glories. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look in verse 3, look in verse 7. And they do have different roles. He also said in the marriage that the man is to be the head of the wife, the woman. It comes from Genesis. It starts in the creation. Remember when God made man, he first made the male. And Adam named all the animals, and then God took a rib from man because he was alone and he needed a helper, and he created woman. And it's on that basis that God says that he wants man to lead. He says, not because one is better than the other, one has greater measure of God's image than the other, not at all. They're of equal value, equal value in Christ, equal in creation, but the roles are different because God created man first, and God intended a role for him. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. I think this answers the question. He says, this is why men are to teach and women are not to teach over the men. That's what he's talking about in 1 Timothy 2. You can read it. He says, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And he says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor because she was first. We see here that God puts the emphasis on man was made first. I have a very specific role for him and different specific qualities that he wanted man to do what is right for him to lead. Today, we can see what happens. Today, people will say, you know what? I think we can do things better. Let's just let men and women do everything the same. But what's happened to those churches? They're dying. They're crumbling. Mainline churches have said there's no difference. Let's let the women preach over the men are suffering. You know what they're suffering from? Because today, men who take that second place and they allow those things to happen, those churches become weak. Men take no leadership role. They don't stand up. Men are not acting like men. We see it in the world today. That has been the result of feminism, is that men have been put in a role of which they say, you know what, if you want the lead, you do it. You're going to do that. Just let women do everything, and we're just going to sit back and do nothing. And that sounds like a lot of men today become lazy. The Bible says that men are to lead. They are the head of the house, the head of the family. And they are to lead spiritually. And so many women today say, I want a man in my house who will lead my family, who will be a leader, who will be a spiritual example, who's not going to lord over me or dictate to me, because the Bible teaches against men doing that, but that men are to lead through service. Here's the point here. As men are leading, and it really comes down to this, God said it, and so it is. God is the standard for what is right and wrong. God knows more about the role of men and women in their natures than we do. And we should not be so boastful to say, well, I think this and I think that about men and women. God knows. 
And he says, the women are to be silent in the assembly for this reason. Men are to lead. 1 Corinthians 14, 36 to 40. This is the conclusion here of our text. Paul says this, Or was it from you that the word of God came? I want you to notice this. He says, he gave those instructions about women being silent in the assembly. And he knew right then there's going to be controversy about that. Controversy about everything that he'd been speaking about. Speak by one by one. Anybody who has a revelation, wait till it's your turn. All of that was controversy. And listen to what he says. Or was it from you that the word of the Lord came? What's his point here? Don't think that you know more than God or know more than his word. You cannot be boastful or self-centered and come up with your own standard. God sets the standard. He says, or it was from you that the word of the Lord came, or are you the only one it has reached? Or if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing you are the command of the Lord. Same thing today. You hear a lot of people say, well, I think it should be this way today. Well, that's great. You think you're spiritual. You claim that you're a prophet, but you speak contrary to God and his command. You do wrong. Paul says, I am writing to you a command of the Lord, and if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And so, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. That's what we've seen throughout our study, decency and order. Some observations about this. The things that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, they're God's command. Don't simply write them off. Don't say they're cultural. Keep them. Observe them. Those who consider themselves spiritual cannot change even one of God's commands. You can't alter it. You can't twist it. It stands true. And we cannot change it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word doesn't change. He is infallible. His words are infallible. We cannot change it. One other thing to observe here from this passage is that it's filled with imperatives. In the Greek text, it jumps off the page. Everything that Paul's saying there, he continues to say an imperative. What's an imperative? It's a command. Let's go back and look at that real quick. Look at this. He says to them, or was it from you the word of God came, or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge. This is actually an imperative. He must acknowledge that the things that I'm writing you are a command. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. An imperative. And so, my brothers, an imperative. A command, earnestly desire to prophesy. And then he gives another command, an imperative. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. And here it is another, another command, an imperative. But all things should be done decently in order. Kind of sounds like a suggestion right there, doesn't it? In the Greek, it's a command. It's an imperative. The assembly is to be done decently and in order. And then lastly, Christians must do all in the assembly decently in order. We've seen how to do that. We can't add to the assembly. We can't add to the singing. We can't alter the way that the assembly and worship is done. It was made right the first time. As we conclude, as Christians, what kind of picture should we have of the assembly? We should have a picture of Christians coming together who sit around, who commune with one another, who stir one another to love and good works, who when they sing songs to one another, and that kind of speaking does not exclude women, of course, He's only talking about speaking before the assembly here. But that you can speak and sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That when you gather together, that you are to partake of the Lord's Supper. That's what they did. We should have that picture of the assembly. 
speaking to one another, edifying one another, encouraging one another, giving consolation, having edification from God's Word. We see this. This should be a part of our picture. They sought to speak, to sing, to pray with intelligible words for edification from God's Word. Edification means to build up. That is intellectually to learn, to teach one another. That is a part of our speaking and singing and praying in the assembly. I believe that's undeniable in this passage. And again, they spoke to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In fact, Romans 15 and verse 6 says, They spoke to one another with one voice. They sang together with one voice. They sang together, and they thanked God, and they praised Him, and they demonstrated harmony and unity in their singing. And I thank God that we could do that this morning. I heard it this morning. I like to hear our voices blended together. I know that's what God wants, and that we put an emphasis on understanding those words, that it comes from the mind and from the Spirit. I think you should think about this. As we've gone through 1 Corinthians 14, I encourage you to go back and read it again. Read this text again. Is there a way to biblically improve the assembly? If there's a way to improve it, it means that there are some things that we are not doing the best that we can, best way that the Bible teaches us how. I want you to think about that as you read through, it, through that text again. There are things we can do better. When we sing, we can mean the words. When we sing, we can do it in harmony and unity. When we sing, we can speak to one another and we can encourage one another. When we speak, we speak one by one and we speak the oracles of God. We don't get up here and give up anecdotes and stories and make everybody feel good. It's, we want to teach God's word and sometimes God's word is going to be convicting. Sometimes it's going to be judgeful. It can have condemnation to those who are sinning. On the other hand, for us who know it's God's Word, it is truth, it gives us joy. It should fill us with passion and enthusiasm. I believe this is the Word of God. I will not compromise any command from Him. I challenge you this morning, keep order in the assembly. Emphasize edification in the assembly. And I want to encourage us as a congregation. Sometimes in our spiritual life we become stale, and I see stages of our development when you first become a Christian, when the church started, the Christians were devoted to fellowship, to worship, to encouraging one another, to praising God together, to breaking bread together. They were devoted to that. But some of us will stop right there to that devotion. We're here this morning. We're at the devoted part, and we kind of stopped. We haven't moved on to growing. We haven't gone, and we, are, we, we put a minimum emphasis on Bible study and studying with other Christians. And even when we come to the assembly I'll come together, we avoid Bible study. We need to get back to growing. Some people get to the point where, yes, I'm devoted to the church and I'll be there every Sunday morning and I'm there in the Bible studies and I'm learning God's Word, but we haven't gone and matured to the point of serving others, showing the world that we love them. If we're a mature Christian, these are the things I believe we'll be working on. I'm going to talk more about that very soon and give you many scriptures for them. This morning, I want to share with you the gospel of Christ. If you want to rise to bodily life again, as the Bible tells us we will in the resurrection, that is the Christian's hope of eternal life. Jesus said it repeatedly. Paul teaches it emphatically. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, and also Romans 8 and verse 11, that just as Christ rose from the dead, one day so will we. We must believe that. It is a part of our faith, and if we reject it, we reject the resurrection of Christ. 
Those who believe in Jesus' resurrection, they'll confess that and they'll believe it with all their heart. And believing and confessing that faith, they will die to their sins. They will repent from their sins. And the Bible says that they will do what Christ did. As Christ died, they will die. As Christ was buried, they will be buried in the waters of baptism. And as Christ rose up into the newness of life, so will we. And the Bible teaches that. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says that is the process of salvation. When you come out of that water from baptism, that's when your sins are washed away. This morning, if you have not been baptized for those reasons, if you've not obeyed the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, you need to. Paul said it's of the first importance. It's that gospel that saves you. First Peter 3 and verse 21 says baptism now saves you. Not the washing of the flesh. It's not just getting water on you, but it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, if you want to become a Christian, you can do that. If you're struggling with sin and temptations and you need the prayers and encouragement in the church, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.